0: Macworld Podcast, number 414 for July 2nd, 2014, brought to you by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. And Betterment, get six months of automated investment management for free when you visit betterment.com slash macworld. Welcome to another mackerel podcast. I'm Chris Breen, and
1: joining me back
0: from her long drive from last week is...
1: <laughs> Serenity Caldwell. Yes, I am indeed not behind the wheel of a car this week. That's really exciting. Yay!
0: Well, I'm glad to have you back. It's great. Yes,
1: I'm glad to be back.
0: Um, let's just jump right into it. Um, yeah, let's do it. Okay. One of the big uh, headlines from over the weekend is uh, that Facebook was apparently conducting an <laughs>
1: experiment.
0: And this was in 2012. They tweaked people's feeds, essentially saying, "Oh, let's put more positive stuff on there and see if people react badly to it." As if, "Well, everybody else is having fun, but I'm not." Or put something really negative in there, and people go, "Yeah, good on you, because my life is better than you, and I win." Um, people seem to be upset about this, and uh, and I think rightly so. So, what's what's your take on it?
1: Yeah. Um... <laughs> I think it's a little ridiculous that uh sure you have all of this data at Facebook at your at your disposal to toy and play with, but um these are human people that you're playing with. These are real emotions. This is basically no I mean Facebook in this case is basically being like a 4chan troll and being like, hmm, I wonder what trigger words I can say to uh to provoke people into certain emotions. And uh, it's, it's all very well and good when you're doing it in, say, like a Stanford study, right? Where people have signed up to be part of a study and, and they know that something's going to happen to them. They mm-hmm. don't necessarily know the specifics, but they, they at least consciously know that they're a part of a social experiment. Um, whereas this is just kind of, you know, um, so P.S. We've been playing with all of your data. <laughs> because I mean, we can. Yeah, because we can because we're all powerful. You could argue that yes, signing up for Facebook and being a- agreeing to be part of a uh, an online social community isn't itself a social experiment and maybe we shouldn't be too shocked that uh, that Facebook is mucking around with our data like this. Uh, but it's still it goes back to that constant struggle for me of like I've just become so cynical about online stuff where I'm like, anything I put online is basically, I just have to assume that someone is going to read it and someone is going to do stuff with it that I'm not going to be happy about. And if I'm okay with that, then, you know, I'm just going to keep on posting things and uh, avoid posting things online that, you know, I maybe don't want to see played with in an experiment you could you can kind of see that all the way back to like things like live journal right where uh there's there's all sorts of communities based around various emotional not manipulation but like emotional needs on like older services like that um and then people sort of started stepping away from the online diary idea being like hmm maybe i shouldn't pour my heart out into a public place on the internet where everyone can see it uh, and uh, this this might be just another one of those red flags that's like, hey, turns out even when you're sharing stuff with your select groups of friends, uh, the people who host that information may be, uh, may be playing with it uh, in ways that you, you maybe are not fond of. So maybe you should reconsider exactly what you're posting about your crappy day.
0: Yeah, um, I think in some people would defend this by saying, well, if you take a step back, everybody manipulates data in one way or another. Um, for example, we at Macworld, we're not, you know, I don't think of us as being bad people or manipulators. However, we look at every story and we say, well, does this deserve a, one of our profile spots or could it be a lower down story? What kind of stuff are we going to push to our readers? How are we going to configure our headlines so that we get more clicks because we get more clicks? And that means more ad revenue. And that's mm-hmm. all good. Um, I think it's
1: more good stories. It's more good theory.
0: stories in theory. Right. But I think where the, the problem a lot of people have with your his intent, which is this wasn't an SEO kind of thing where they're trying to drive more traffic to ads. Um, but rather, they're kind of playing with their, their users and saying, you know, taking this data that they have access to. And, and their justification was within our terms of service. It basically says, yeah. you post it, we can use it. So the intent is, therefore, well, given that we have this, quote-unquote, permission, we can see what this, how humans react to this. I think it's a great experiment. but It's a as, fascinating oh, experiment. <laughs> but as you say, with permission. And I'm sure that if somehow they'd put a poll up on everybody's Facebook page and said, you know, we'd like to give this a go – if, you, you know, what do you think? Would you like to participate? And I'm sure there'd be enough people who would, although naturally it skews the results because you're aware of the experiment. Yeah. But still, they could probably get some decent data out of this rather than doing it. And then two years later saying, oh, by the way,
1: P.S. <laughs> we
0: did this. Um, and I, I'm glad to see that one of the people conducting the research has since posted and said, you know... In hindsight, maybe that wasn't so cool. <laughs> but, again, it took two years for this to come out. And um, I think, as you know, and I'm, I'm going to start this portion of my talk here with uh, with a tag starting rant. Um, <laughs> as you know, I quit Facebook in 2010 because uh, I make no secret of it. And every chance I get to jump on Facebook about their privacy issues, I, I do. So when I saw this news, I just sort of said, yeah, okay. This has, doesn't seem unusual to me, that this seems a natural extension of a company that I think basically has disdain for privacy, that yeah. they're in the business to sell ads. And anything they can do that is not criminal, um, they will do in order to to get more data from us uh, so that they can deliver more targeted ads so that they can make more money. And I get it. They're in business. and so This is what they're for. And we have tacitly said, yeah, that's fine, because our trade-off is I get to reconnect with people I knew from high school, or my family can connect and share pictures around, and my family loves Facebook. This is how they communicate, so that's great. But I'm trying to step back and, and look at the larger picture, which is eventually this erodes our privacy. And we're doing it willingly, granted, because mm-hmm. it's a shiny object and we say, "Yeah, this is this is good and it's worth it." But I do think over time companies like Facebook and Google and maybe Twitter eventually take that as that we really want this to happen versus we're trading that for a shiny object. And I wonder at what point do we have companies that say you know your privacy is your business and not ours and and to tie this into apple i think apple is one of those companies where apple has
1: kind of been making a name for itself we had i forget who wrote an article for us last week um i think it was, it was marco it was, yeah it was marco on you know why apple is kind of making privacy into a into a feature point um for iOS 8 and uh, OS 10 Yosemite and and its various project products where they're like hey Google will give you things for free but uh we don't really know what they're doing with that data here's what we here's our you know our promise and our mandate to you which i think is really admirable and um, some people are just like yeah whatever it's it's empty empty sayings but it's still really cool
0: well fundamentally they have a different business model because Apple is selling products, as I think Microsoft is selling products it 's mm-hmm. software it 's hardware. Facebook is selling me Google is selling me because their their clients are advertisers i 'm not the client i 'm simply yeah. a, a source of revenue for them so yes, Google is doing some very cool stuff the self driving car thing is this but behind a lot of every a lot of things that google is doing it 's really about getting information for me so they can sell ads. And that's not Apple's business. Maybe Apple, I guess, would deign at some point to say, yeah, okay, maybe we'll sell a little bit of this to make a little. But for them, it's pocket change where it's not their primary business. So I would far trust Apple or even Microsoft over a Facebook or a Google because I understand what their business plan is, whereas with the others, I think it's. It's kind of bottom feeding, really. It's, it's sort of like we don't have anything else to, to sell, so we're going to sell you, which seems like we've gone through all the good fish in the sea, and now we're just eating the stuff on the bottom that uh, that cleans up the ocean
1: floor. <laughs> and eventually it'll turn into Skynet, and we'll all be very sad. Yeah. At least if the Verge if the, if what the Verge says is is to be believed.
0: Well, and I, Did you read
1: that story last week? I that didn't. Was really what funny. was what was that about? Um someone I think it was on the Verge, someone wrote basically a, a fictional account of um of the the rulers or the the founders of Skynet going back into the past or the computers of Skynet going back into the past uh because Cyberdyne Systems has been taken you know taken apart and choosing to reboot themselves. Via this strange new company called Google, <laughs> uh, it, was, it was a very funny read, um, and we can put it in the show notes. But uh, yeah, I, I, as I as I said before, I like, I think that when you sign up for a service like that, you are tacitly agreeing to basically be like anything I put on here, uh, it's this is going to be publicly viewed in some way or form. It's funny because you know um, I. Knowing that they were doing this social experiment during 2012, 2012 was actually the the one year that I did not use Facebook ah, at all. So you're saying, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> um, I I'd almost gotten out. I had gotten all the way out, and, and uh the uh, the roller derby community is almost entirely on Facebook as opposed to other uh, other social networks because it it offers good you know media sharing and things like that. Uh, but what's become so funny to me is um, Facebook has basically turned into roller derby social network for me in that it's very targeted mm-hmm. right I've I've made it into not sharing about my life but very specifically let's talk about this hyper specific one hobby that I have and the only people who I am friends with and actively talk on that social network also talk about this one hobby so it's I, I don't know if I'm really like sticking it to the man but I, I do think it's funny that I'm like, Facebook, you know, everybody else is posting on you about their, you know, their bad days or their job promotions. And I'm like, I just got a new set of wheels. (laughs) So what kind of ads
0: do you see? Uh, Do you get roller derby ads?
1: No, I actually I I get like the normal I get such a weird array of advertisements, although I think most of it Facebook like has no idea how to target to me. So they've started uh, workout pants. I'll see and I'll I'll see usually like if they if they don't know what to throw at you, I feel like at base it goes down to your gender because it's like all these things mm. about like weddings and engagement rings and fancy dresses and things like you know. Oh, girls, what do girls like? You're a 26 year old person. Okay, let's just throw basic marketing terms at you and see if something sticks. And I'm like, ha, huh, oh, Facebook, <laughs> mm, never change. Never except, change. please do. <laughs>
0: yes, please do. All right, well, let's uh, take a break and talk about. Citrix's ShareFile. In business, we're constantly collaborating with coworkers and clients, sharing files like contracts and spreadsheets and presentations, and it's essential that these important files are kept safe, secure, and under your control. And that's why I recommend Citrix's ShareFile. It's the easy to use business solution that allows you to exchange files quickly and securely. For example, when I have large files to share, and I really care about them moving to their recipient securely, and they're so large that I fear an email gateway is going to impede their progress, I use ShareFile. By way of bonus, it's really helpful to me to know that the file has been received and when it was opened, and ShareFile provides that benefit. With ShareFile, you can send files of almost any size, and we're talking about 5 gigabytes, so there's no worry about bounce-backs. Plus, you can control who has access to your files and the level of permission that they have. Syncs automatically so you and your team will always have the most updated materials and you can access ShareFile from anywhere. Laptop, tablet, smartphone, whatever. It works on the go. If you'd like to try ShareFile, and I suggest you do, you can do it for free. Just sign up today and receive a 30-day free trial with no obligation. Go to ShareFile.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and enter Macworld. Again, visit ShareFile.com and type in Macworld.
1: So this weekend, speaking of roller derby, uh, was really important for a lot of places around the globe and that it's sort of Pride Pride weekend um, for the LGBT community, and I know uh, my old my old league marched in the Pride Parade in, in San Francisco, and there are leagues marching in like New York, uh, Boston's parade was a couple weeks ago. Uh, but in addition, it's like you know not just not just roller derby leagues, but businesses march in the Pride Parade, and uh, and this year we had a new a fairly prominent new addition to the San Francisco Parade, uh, which was uh, which was Apple. Um, And I think it's the it's the first time that Apple's participated in pride, right?
0: I think it is. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's it's another one of those things where I feel like Apple is slowly sort of cricking its doors open and not necessarily, you know, I mean, (sighs) Tim Cook and Apple have been very, very uh, outspoken in the past couple of years about wanting to support um, certain causes um equality being one of them uh and i think it's really awesome to see that the company is you know sort of putting its putting its face behind uh, such a relatively hot button subject still in the media i mean i think i think things Year by year, are swinging more towards equality for all, but there's still, you know, there's there's still many people in the United States who who feel uncomfortable with that and and have some problems, and so it's really it's nice to see big companies kind of taking a stand and being like, you know, whether you're gay, straight, um, you know, bi, queer, whatever, what what have you. Um, we welcome you as an employee at our company. I just think that's, that's really, that's really cool. And, uh, I think nine to five Mac posted sort of a compilation of, of pe- very, very happy smiling Apple employees and people hugging Apple employees and Tim Cook posing with Apple employees wearing like these beautiful pride t-shirts with a rainbow around the Apple. And I'm like, this, you know, a, it's a small gesture by a company, but it's just made them so, it's made so many people so happy. And I, I that it, it's, it'll probably get some backlash from the conservative press, but I, it's it it's one of those things that makes me really like love Apple as a company, you know? Yeah,
0: I I think this is part of this general opening up of the company where Tim Cook made that statement about you know if you're not happy with our green efforts, get out. <laughs> and um, I don't care about the bloody ROI. <laughs> exactly. I'm- it's like you know we're we have. Uh, views about what we think is the right thing to do. I think em- embracing people uh, for pride was terrific. You know, to show that, like, yeah, you know, instead of just simply saying, "Well, we don't discriminate against these people," but rather saying, "We support these people." You know, we support mm-hmm. all our employees, and so we're going to fly the flag, which they did, um, and uh, and then participate in the parade as well. I thought I think I saw something that Tim Cook maybe it was retweeted today. Said, you know, good on you, all our employees, and uh, and celebrating pride. So I thought that was terrific. Now to play devil's advocate, uh, mm-hmm. we're recording this on the day that the Supreme Court um, came down with the Hobby Lobby uh, decision, uh, yes. where essentially they said that if a company chooses. Uh, let's see, how do I do this in a way that's not politically loaded? Um, (laughs) Choose us not to agree with the part of Obamacare that would provide contraceptives for women, certain contraceptives, not all, um, that that's okay. So on the one hand, they've been being vilified, saying, you know, this is our corporate policy. This is what we believe in. We have this deeply held belief that we don't want to support Uh, women and contraception because we think there's a religious problem with that and so they're vilified on the other hand we look at Apple and they say we support gay rights and uh, we go yay for you Um, and yet so I I kind of think that that each company is going to be vilified for a different thing you know swinging and so how hypocritical are we for saying you're bad because you're (laughs) making this political on the other hand we're saying oh you're good because those are the politics we agree with
1: yeah, well, I mean, I do, I do think that's that's a, a hot button issue in a way because obviously, like, not everybody who works at Apple is probably a hundred percent comfortable with uh, with gay rights, and um, and I think that's it comes down to at least in my mind the reason why I feel happy about like and supportive of Apple, uh, besides the fact, besides politics, is just that it's it's Apple saying you know we support these people obviously you know you, you may not support these people but our company policy is you know that we are open we believe in equality and we you know put our put our happiness behind behind this group of people and if you don't feel that way that's okay you don't have to march in the parade pride parade and you don't have to you know you can work at home instead of looking at the pride pla- flag float, uh, flying outside your window um, but the you know the flip side is like it's the it's the open versus restrictive, I think where it's like as opposed to someone saying we're very supportive of this and we welcome this uh then you have the other company that's like, uh our beliefs restrict this, and no matter what, you know you can do this only if you have enough extra money to uh to make it happen. And there, you know, there are there are shades of gray there, and I don't want to get into to it too much because I don't want a bunch of angry male being like, "How dare you support or reject this?" Um, but uh, you know, I, yeah, I just I feel like the difference the difference to me is seeing a company that's being open and being friendly and being like, if it's not your bag, we understand. We're not gonna like, we're not going to insist that you go. You know, it's not go hug a gay person today, mm-hmm. right? It's not. You, you don't have to you don't have to sit and be buddy buddy um, with LGBT folk if you're if you're really uncomfortable with it. But as a company, we support it. Versus as a company, we feel that we're going to restrict this area from uh, from forty nine percent of our workers.
0: Right. Yeah. So it's a decision based on inclusion versus exclusion. And exactly.
1: Yeah, and I think that's what. The-
0: You know, a lot of people think like, okay, well, that's more positive than, you know, saying no, you cannot do this versus yes, that's fine. You know, again, we're not going to force you all to be gay um, because that's not, you know, that's not the point. The point is, like, you know, we have the point is we
1: respect our workers, right? Any
0: one of our workers, depending on, you know, regardless of of. Who they are, or race,
1: creed, color, origin, sex, etc. Who they
0: choose to love is none of their business. So it's like, yeah, okay, fine. All right. Well, I think we've, uh, I think we've covered that one. So um, let's talk a little bit. uh, Speaking of hubbub, over um, Apple's decision to no longer support Aperture, and that Uh, uh, an iPhoto is going to be going away, and instead it's going to be replaced with Photos app. Instead, Um, what I've seen largely in our comments, and I think this is an ill-informed reaction, is that people are assuming this means that all our photos are going to be in the cloud and not stored locally. And so, therefore, this is terrible because you're going to have to pay for the storage uh, beyond whatever they give you for free. I don't think that's the case, right? I mean, my. No. Okay, good. Just say no and explain why.
1: Yes. Just say no. Okay, for one thing, I think this is a problem of people reading press releases the wrong way. Mm. Uh, so, Apple came out last Friday um, on the dump the news day, as Friday is unofficially called, uh, to be like, hey, guys, so Aperture, it's not going to happen anymore. Um, and we're going to replace everything next year with the Photos app, which allows you to store all all of your photos in the cloud. And people heard that and were like, "Oh, we're being forced to store our photos in the cloud. How dare you, Apple." When in reality, um, I think it's going to work very, very similarly to how PhotoStream works right now on your Mac, which is to say an or Dropbox to give a more popular example uh, for people who are using third-party apps where you upload all of your photos via the camera or what have you to your Mac. And then, if you would like, those photos can also be synced to the cloud, um, where they can be, you know, accessed on your iOS devices and your other Macs. But if you don't want to pay for that storage, you're still going to have that library locally on your Mac. Um, Apple is very serious about backup and having, you know, having backups of your data and having backups of your information. And I I cannot see a circumstance where Apple would ever say, we're we're going to make the cloud copy the only canonical copy and you can never save things to your hard drive and hard drives are dead. You know, even when they were trying to do iCloud um, and you had, you know, your documents stored in iCloud, there's still a a secret folder in the library, um, in your user library that stored all of those iCloud documents on your Mac because... That you didn't want to—they—they they don't want to run into a into a, a situation where all of a sudden iCloud malfunctions and then all of your documents or all of your photos are gone. Uh, we've seen what what happens with uh, with that. We saw what happened when Apple was was much earlier in its sort of syncing strategy. Uh, so I think they will. Everyone who's concerned about only having to store their photos in the cloud—it's poppycock. It's probably going to be an option, not the option. Uh and uh and you guys just take take a deep breath. It'll be okay. <laughs> it's not coming until next year. You got plenty of time. And if you're really concerned about it, there's always light room.
0: Right. And then also people are saying, "Well, you know, that's the because I I depend on aperture. Well, you can still use it. Um apparently Yosemite is going to still work with it. Um mm-hmm. yeah, going forward as you uh as you move into different operating systems eventually it's probably not going to work or you'll find that Lightroom is so much better or another option is so much better that you're going to move over there and and I'm I suspect that if Adobe is smart they're going to make moving um an aperture library to Lightroom really really, really easy because they want that f- business.
1: Mhm. I thought it would be a little bit more difficult um from what I understand in terms of moving metadata. But uh but yeah, it's I feel like it's going to be a fairly seamless process for the majority of people. And if you look at Aperture, um, and this is funny because I didn't really think about this until Friday when, uh, when this all went down. The last time Aperture was majorly updated, um, was before I was officially hired at Macworld. So 2010, um, which, you know, I say 2010, I'm like, that's not that far you know that's not that long ago and then i'm like that's a, that's 4 years that's uh that's quite a while actually um, and since you know when when aperture 3 came out it was a bit of a memory hog and had some major problems and though they you know they they tuned it up and they fixed it um, it was still, by and large, running on sort of the same back end that the old versions of, uh, you know, the same kind of philosophy that the old versions of Final Cut and the old Logic, um, and the, even the old iMovie were running mm-hmm. off. Right, where it's like it had kind of a slick interface, but there was there were serious memory problems under the hood, um, organization problems, and two. To revamp Aperture properly and to get it to sync with the iPhone properly, um, it would have meant a ground up rewrite. And if they're like, I think Apple at this point is saying, you know what? We want to be the best for the majority of people to take photos. We want to provide a solution that the, you know, 90% of our customers will love. Um, and provide, you know, I, you know, looking at the, the tools for the iOS 8 beta of of photos, um, that we've seen in the keynote. Uh, those are actually fairly advanced tools. Uh, for a mobile device, and I imagine uh, there will be similarly advanced tools in the Photos app when it re- is released next year. And the, If the idea is let's make a fe- let's make feature parity across our devices, uh, but also provide you know more advanced tools for people who want to do some color correction, but not so advanced that either we're making it too complicated for the average user or uh, we're trying to do too much. Uh, Apple has you know I think. It- At this point, Apple wants to do everything. I mean, they they always want to do stuff that's insanely great, right? They always want to do stuff that's perfect for their customers, that makes their customers happy. And Aperture, you know, despite being a a very powerful photo program when it was first released, Aperture has lagged behind Mm -hmm. Lightroom in every single subsequent year. And it's just, I think it got to the point where Apple was like, you know, we either have a chance to to keep on doing this, or to focus our efforts on the ninety percent of the population for play, for things like Final Cut and Logic. Uh, the the obvious choice was there are enough of there are enough people working with this software and trusting in this software and believing in our software teams that we can keep it going. For Aperture, I think the, the decision came down to, you know what, I just don't think there are enough Aperture users or there are enough people who really need the kind of tools that we would have to build into a next generation Aperture for us to, to take the talent and the time and work on it.
0: Right. I think the writing was on the wall for a long time. And plus as part of 911, I, I get a, fairly large number of complaints about iPhoto, where people say it's slow, it's so slow, and it's always been slow. From the very beginning, people complain about it being slow, and some of the updates that came out for it, Apple would say, yes, it's faster, it's faster, and it was, yeah, faster. But now that we're accumulating tens of thousands of images, and now even more so because we've got these iOS devices that take them iPhoto really has become pretty clumsy, and the performance isn't great. So my hope is that I'm going to get the same kind of editing capabilities in photos that I have in iPhoto, but it's going to be fast. And it's mm-hmm. going to be easier for me to find the images I want and tag the images I want and, um, and deal with metadata, because it is clumsy to do this in iPhoto. So when I heard they were killing aperture, I thought, yeah, okay. Makes sense. And then iPhoto thought, okay, well, I hope this opens the door to something really good, that there's been a complete rewrite, rethink of how we manage our photos and do it in such a way that I'm not waiting 25 seconds for my library to load or I want to scroll, but no, you can't do that yet because I haven't rendered, you know, the 14,000th Thumbnail in this library.
1: <laughs> huh. I mean, God I, forbid you have more than four thousand photos. Yeah, exactly.
0: And I don't want it to be my problem. I don't want my app to tell me, "Well, if you organize this differently, I'd work better." Instead, I just want to be able to go through. Yeah, I got twenty thousand photos. Deal with it. Okay, yeah, we'll deal with it. Fine. Here, you know, you, there are better ways to do this. But if you want to be able to scroll through twenty thousand photos, fine. Just we're all we're all over that. Take care of it.
1: Yeah. And we've seen that implementation already in iOS. I mean, you look at the uh, iOS 7's Photos app. iOS 7's Photos app isn't perfect. But the fact that you can, like, parse out to years and have those tiny little thumbnails Mm -hmm. and tap and hold and have the thumbnail pop up and it's all in real time and it doesn't feel laggy, at least on a a 5 or a 5S S. Um, and that's really impressive, you know. That's a that's a difficult task yeah. for, and and some people have quite a lot of photos on their on their iPhone. I know some people who use their iPhones and their iPads as as gallery tools, yeah. right? As showcase tools. Uh, so to be able to do that on iOS and. To be able to kind of port that back to the Mac is really exciting. I'm so done with iPhoto. I would love – I got to the point where I was organizing my photos and I still am organizing my photos in folders again mm-hmm. because I just got too much of a pain to deal with a library. So I'll, I'm really excited to see the new Photos app. Um, I do hope it comes earlier than spring, summer 2015 <laughs> right. because I'd like to be able to use it soon, please, Apple. But, uh, but if it's – if you need that extra time to, to bake it and make it good –
0: Okay. Yeah. So the final word on that from us is don't worry, be happy. (laughs) Yep. And uh, before our last little bit, let's have a word from Betterment. What if managing your investment portfolio was as easy as using your favorite iPhone app? It is now with Betterment, the most popular automated investment service with over 36,000 customers. Betterment has seamlessly integrated technology and years of investment expertise into one elegant application that will transform the way you invest. Betterment's UX and UI are adored by tech and design enthusiasts alike, especially since sign-up is quick and doesn't involve all the red tape of other investment providers. Their platform customizes a globally diversified portfolio based on your personal goals and time horizon. Once you've invested, Everything is automated from rebalancing and tax minimization to regular deposits from your bank account. With killer technology under the hood and iPhone and Android apps to make it easy to check your progress on the go, it's hard to believe that Betterment is as low cost as it is. Investing with Betterment saves you time and money, improves your returns, and minimizes their taxes. For a limited time, Betterment is offering Macworld listeners up to six months of automated investment management for free when you visit Betterment, that's B-E-T-T-E-R-M-E-N-T dot com slash Macworld.
1: Uh, so this morning, this morning being Monday, June 30th, when we're recording this, shh, no one tell anybody. <laughs> um Apple announced changes to its iTunes U system, uh, which mainly are giving teachers and educators more options within the app itself to create, edit, and, and manage their content. Whereas before, the uh, the uh, iTunes U app was kind of a, uh, a distribution portal, they're making it more of an interactive portal for the for the content that you've already posted and content you would like to post, which is really neat. Um, it's a uh, it's another kind of door opening on the iPad for, for Apple's tools and it, it brings back to, um, to Apple's whole continuity uh, features mm-hmm. with the idea of like doing the, doing the right thing on the right device uh, and some of these new capabilities like being able to upload photos and videos into uh, into your iTunes U content from your your phone or your iPad. Um, I think that's really cool, you know uh, what, what do you think, Chris?
0: I think it is. I think it puts a lot of power into teachers' hands, I hope. Um, and fingers I, crossed. Yeah, fingers crossed. And I, and I cross fingers because this is kind of the way I felt about iBooks author, that mm-hmm. when this was first talked about, they said, oh, now teachers could be able to create their own lessons and their own books, and, and students will be able to do this, and there'd be all these interactive elements that would look great. And then it didn't really happen, because I think people found the tools a little difficult to use. Um, Pages was well. You're the Pages expert, right? So you you (laughs) tried to do that early on, and it was kind of difficult. Yes.
1: Yes. Um, IBooks and eBooks was was very challenging, and iBooks Author has gotten better over sort of its uh, iteration process. But there are still, you know, there are still a lot of problems. Um, It's still very hard to, you know, you can't build iBooks Author books for the phone. Uh, You know, there's a whole sort of market being left alone. Uh, so it's it's interesting to see Apple put some effort put some, you know, energy and some effort into iTunes U. I hope that's step one yeah. and step two in the fall is more books tools. Are you listening, iBooks Team, please? <laughs>
0: <laughs> I hope so too, and I hope that they bring these tools to the Mac. Because it sounds like From what they're – at least the description I've seen so far on the iTunes U stuff is a lot of it's going to be Mm iOS-focused, that you're going to be doing this importing and and, uh, managing your media and content on an iOS device, which may be fine for a lot of stuff, but I might want that larger palette and greater control that I'm going to get with a Mac – so that as teacher, I can pull in all kinds of resources, throw it together so it makes a cohesive lesson or a series of lessons, and then bring that out and then be able to spit that out to the various iOS devices in the classroom. Mm-hmm. Distribution would is going to be interesting as well. I want to see how they, they implement that because we know that distribution is generally difficult Um But maybe that iTunes U becomes the engine for it, that you have some sort of repository, whether it's on iTunes itself or some sort of local repository, that then iTunes can connect to and then pull in those lessons um, that are both content available through iTunes U and then content that's incorporated by the teacher or the administrator of that particular school or school district. I think it sounds exciting. I'm wondering if maybe this is sort of the other play to iTunes or sort of iBooks author where they say, yeah, you know, actually, this may be the better method for doing this, and so do stuff through iTunes U versus trying mm-hmm. to put together a book and then leave that sort of book composition for real publishers or people that are savvy enough to be able to pull it off versus promising teachers they can do it, and they try and get and get frustrated.
1: Yeah, and we may see more integration uh, between iBooks Author and uh, iTunes U. I mean, they did note – that when the enhancements roll out uh, on July eighth, that teachers will be able to add content um, from iBooks Author mm-hmm. and from iWork. So I think uh, it's they may they may add some more tools to iBooks Author to make it a little friendlier to teachers and be like, hey, instead of worrying about trying to make an entire textbook, maybe you can just build this little thing um, and make iBooks Author you know more of a, a miniature tool than a than a full featured you know wham bam textbook tool for a for individual teachers. Well, I, I think it still can be used as a full-featured textbook tool and a how-to guides tool, but you know, like the right the right content for the right space as well as the right, app for the right space <laughs> right
0: yeah i look forward to hearing what uh, Fraser spears has to say about this and and for those listening who don't know he's a, a teacher educator in scotland and he's all over this stuff so if you want to know about deployment in schools or preparing lessons for ios devices Fraser's the guy who's who's sort of been the canary in the coal mine for this and he's been dealing with all these things first so i'm going to put a link to his site in the show notes and his podcast because uh he knows this stuff more than anybody else so he's the one to follow certainly we're, we on Macworld are going to be writing about it as well but but Fraser really knows this stuff and so if you're an educator and interested to see how this plays out and the kind of potential it has for schools um, check the show notes and, and go over and see what uh, Fraser has to say about it because uh, he knows this stuff mm-hmm. and you know what that was kind of quick and fun and um, I think that that'll be it for today
1: yeah, I think it's a good roundup of what's going on over the past week. Uh, we'll be back. Let's see next Monday, right? You're not out, Chris. You're not taking some Fourth of July time.
0: No, no, I'm I'm going to be around. So uh, we will be recording next Monday, probably, and probably. <laughs> uh, posting on Wednesday as we normally do, unless something really exciting happens in those couple of days. And um, yeah, so those of you who are here in the U.S. listening, have a safe and sane Fourth of July. Uh, light fuse, stand away. And uh, if you're allowed to do such things, not here in drought-ridden uh, California, but maybe wherever <laughs> Not here you in are. Massachusetts,
1: but uh, go up to New Hampshire. Have some fun.
0: <laughs> really? Is that what they do in New Hampshire?
1: I think New Hampshire is – I think fireworks are legal in New Hampshire. Don't quote me on that.
0: <laughs> okay. Awesome. Well, anyway, uh, thanks very much for listening and we'll see you next week. Bye-bye. And that wraps up another Macworld podcast brought to you by Citrix's ShareFile. Enhance your workflow and send files of almost any size easily and securely. And Betterment, get six months of automated investment management for free when you visit Betterment.com slash Macworld. If you have any comments or questions, feel free to email us at podcast at Macworld.com. And again, thanks for listening.